So the Zoom story. So I'm. This is. I got this from like a two paragraph thing that I read, but apparently Zoom was doing something that pissed Apple off. They were in order for the links. I think they said in order for the links to work, and I think they're referring to the links that start meetings, like the ones that I send you. Mm-hmm. That the Zoom app was installing a separate uh, internet s- secret internet browser. On people's computers. Whoa. And that pissed Apple off because <laughs> they're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So Apple pushed out an update that made their shit not work, basically. And so they had, that's why there's an update to the Zoom app because they're like, oh crap, we got caught. I mean, how did <sighs> that's, that's, that almost makes me not want to use Zoom. Do you have any idea who the parent company for Zoom is? But I mean, it's not any worse than Spotify and you still like using Spotify. Yeah, that's true. So, what was the question? Who's the parent company? Yeah, who's the parent company? I Wasn't think, a, isn't it Microsoft? No, I think they, they're independent. I think they're just Zoom. Hmm. I could be wrong, but... Let's oh, wait. Let, me, yeah. let me turn that off. Hold on. Bells and whistles. Bellsing. Yeah, new Mac. I haven't like shut off anything or changed anything yet, but it's the new MacBook with the USB-C only. So, I had to like wait and get an adapter. Um, oh, you have the one I have, basically. Yeah, I mean, I love this thing. Don't get me wrong, but the lack of ports is really annoying. So Hopefully, yours is better than mine. Mine is not, nothing but a fucking headache. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obnoxious. I got a, a pretty cool adapter though that incorporates a bunch of stuff that I really like, and it matches the color of the MacBook. So I I, I feel like a spy. <laughs> uh, Zoom's from San Jose. How about oh, that? Huh? No I way. Think I knew that. Somebody told me that. I can't remember who told me that. That's kind of cool. I think it might have been. Uh, Daniel Doyen from Readwise when I had him on the show. I think he might have told me that. Either that or... Yeah. Anyway. Dude, I, I so need a, a boom. This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You you didn't use the laugh that I used it. Now you understand. Yeah, I totally under, I totally get it now. Yeah, having hands-free recording is the best thing ever. Oh, now if I could just figure out how to like talk into the air, that'd be or, even better. Because I, I love marching. A boom, that's what it feels like, man. You just put... Instead of... Some people make the mistake to put the boom in front of them. So they're looking at the boom. Mine's off to the side. Like technically, my mic is pointed at the side of my mouth. Mm. So when I look forward, I don't see the microphone. Interesting. Here, I'll take a picture. Yeah, I'd like to see that set up. Uh, taking a, This is, the, I think, the second episode in a row where I took a picture... In the middle of an episode. Yeah, last time was a dog. Let's see. Oh, that's that's going to be difficult to see. You ever think you were born in the wrong era? Mm, yes, most days. Mm. I mean, granted, I like technology and all that, but oh, that is like the worst picture. <laughs> Let's get some light in here. Uh, all right. Maybe I was born in the right era. I just. I don't know. I, I get the sense that when people say stuff like that, like in my case, for example, I feel like I was I, I was definitely born in the right era, but not for me. I was built in the right era for me to affect the world, <laughs> but not for my own pleasure. So, well, I would say that you were born in the right area, in era, considering you're an Asian American, because it would have sucked ass to be an Asian American at pretty much any other time in history. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Um, me, 
being a white straight male, pretty much most of history is open and free for me. Pretty good for you, yeah. Sure. Um, granted, it depends on the country, of course. Yeah, sure. But, uh, I don't. I, I think like I feel like I was born just like maybe a decade or two late. Like I feel like I should have been an adult in the seventies and eighties. Mm. instead of being born then and growing up then. So, so tell me why you think that. There was just enough technology to be interesting. It's kind of like I'm, I've been watching the, the newest season of Stranger Things, which mm-hmm. is... I'm on the, I'm, tonight I watched the last, final episode. Mm, and I, st- I still haven't seen any of this season yet. It's fantastic. It's, 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 I can't say it's been a long time since I watched the first one. I liked the second one, but this one's better than the second one. Yeah, a lot of people I know who watch who watch the show religiously have told me that like this has been the best season so far, and that's saying something. This one is definitely the most horror. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a horror show. But the thing, the why why I bring up that show though is the first season to now. If people have I probably haven't paid attention to this, I didn't pay attention to this because I was wrapped up in like the nostalgia of the show. But I believe it was the guys on Weird Studies that pointed this out. They did an episode. I think it was two episodes ago. I'll put it in the show notes. I think it was called the uh, the Demogorgon. I think that's what they called the episode. And they they discussed one of the guys had written a paper about Stranger Things after season two. Mm-hmm. And what they talk about in that episode is technology and how you you're watching the development of technology in that show. There's like in the first season, there's literally like no devices except for those little walkie talkies. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you see a television in the first season. And then the second season, here's the arcade. And now in this one, it's the mall and you see microwaves and you see televisions. There's more and more technology emerging. And when I watch that, that's why I, I feel like I could have, I should have been born before because when I see those, the time in the first season with technology, but it's like this naive technology, like the transistor is still like the king and the microchip is just kind of like coming into its own. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel the most secure and safe. I, I, I'm more, most comfortable with that time period. I don't want to go back to before people took bat, bats on a regular basis or floss their teeth. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't want to know what it's like to uh, have sex with somebody who hasn't bathed in two weeks. Oh, geez. Those are just not things that I, I don't want to go that, that far back in history, which is not sure. that far back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You go back to I mean, the that's, 20s. That's, that's two or three generations back, yeah. Yeah, you go back to the 20s, people were sharing bathwater because they didn't have a lot of it, mm-hmm. um, which is disgusting to think about. But yeah, I, I feel I wonder like if it's disgusting just because our perspective is that, though. Yeah. It absolutely is. It wasn't disgusting to them. Yeah, it was sure. clean, clean to yeah. them, right? They're like, I'm getting clean right now. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. But I, I guess you know you compare that to people who use like antibacterial soap and all this shit. Like mm, you think you're getting cleaner, but are you? No, you're not. That's an interesting discussion, though. Like I think about the things that that define our age. You know what I mean? Even even other things like um, how different. You know, you said it at the top of the show, which is you know it's probably the best time in human history for me to be an Asian American. You know. Well, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to be one more during World War Two. Yeah, just one. Two to three generations ago, and it's a completely different story. And to clarify, for people who don't know why I said that, even though Lamb is not Japanese, 
<laughs> the stupid people in America during World War II didn't know the difference between oh, Japanese yeah. and non-Japanese Asian Americans. Yeah, so, all Asians got in, interned. Doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to send you this picture now so you can kind of see. It's hard because the microphone doesn't stand out very much in the background, but you'll get the gist of how I have this set up. And sometimes, like right now, I'm turned a little bit more towards the mic, but I don't have to. It picks up my voice either way. You know, uh, I'm multitasking right now, so this is terrible, terrible, terrible time to be recording me. Okay, sent. Back back from multitasking. Weird, weird because... Oh, man, I totally... We we always forget in human history that we've been in that we've had internment camps in this country. Oh yeah, I I, I feel like um shit, what was the name of the book? It's a pretty good picture of you, by the way. It's a pretty bald picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forget what the name of the book is. Oh, farewell to Manzanar. Have you read that book? No, I I, I feel bad for not having read it though because I I'm told that I should. It's about the internment camps. Um, I can't remember the girl's name who wrote it. I, th- I think it was actually her and her husband. But it is about the internment camps. It's it's a fictionalized account, but not really, because I'm pretty sure that everybody in there has the name of her family. So maybe actually, maybe it's not a fictionalized account. I'm I'm pulling that out of my ass right now. But it's a book that I feel like every American should have to read in school. The reason that they don't have us read it in school because they don't want us to remember. I mean, we talk about how, how horrible it is that China people in China are unaware of the fact that Tiananmen Square happened because it's mm-hmm. removed from the history books. Sure. We've done the same thing with, with internment camps during World War II. Um, Janine Wakatsuki, Houston. Yeah, and James D. Houston. So it's, it's her grandfather. Wait, no, her father, I believe. Anyways, read the book. <laughs> Everybody, even as adults, it's 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 an easy read. Everybody should read it. It came out in 1973. It's it's a fantastic book. Makes me think of one of the easiest and most horrifying reads um, that that probably most of us had at some point in our high school tenures, which is Night by Eli Wiesel. I didn't have to read that. I wish I had because we didn't read a lot of Holocaust stuff for some reason. I don't know why. I definitely... Did enough research on that on my own, and I was experienced or was exposed to it during college. But in high school, we didn't really, not as much. I mean, we were we got to really generalize everything, a little bit of everything. We didn't really focus on anything too much. Sure. Now that I look back at it, which is probably good. But yeah, I wish we had read Night because that's probably one of the best World War II novels. Oh my god, it's it's brutal and amazing and ridiculously short it's only like 110 pages or something like that but it's such a a poignant and brutal story if i remember correctly it's part of a trilogy yeah it is um i think it's uh, night morning and dawn that i don't remember right. it's, it's something like that yeah but yeah it was a brilliant piece of writing and it was at the time i mean i remember how i remember how brutal it was to because i'd never been exposed to holocaust literature prior to that you know of course after that you read the diary of man frank and a couple of other things that kind of shed more obvious light on it, but it's really weird. We didn't have to read that either. Isn't that weird? That is weird. And that, There's certain things where I hear everybody's like, oh, we all had to read this. And I'm like, I didn't have to read that. And it wasn't... Diary of Anne Frank never had to read that. Night, we never had to read that. There's one other one that everybody throws out. And I'm like, we didn't have to read that either. 
you know, we read everything else, you know, like Romeo and Juliet and uh, King Lear, obviously a lot of Shakespeare, if I keep going, uh, Lord of the Flies, Catcher in the Rye, you know, most of that stuff, To Kill a Mockingbird, of course. Sure. I think those three are like the three big ones. But there's one other, and I'm not going to remember it right now, but almost everybody talks about it. And I'm, even as an adult, I'm like, I still haven't read that. You know what? Actually, I take it back. I have read it now because I remember what it was. 1984. Huh. No way. I didn't read that until eight months, six months ago. That's really surprising. I'd seen the movie, but I'd never read the book. We read Animal Farm, though. See, I didn't read Animal Farm. I wonder if it's up to the teacher. It definitely is. There's, there's certain things, you know, like the Odyssey, everybody has to read that. I think that's at least in California. I can't make a statement for every state educational system, but in California, you're required to read the Odyssey. And I think you're required to read one Shakespeare, mm-hmm. which almost always is Romeo and Juliet, just because it's the easiest. Yeah, it is and it isn't, though, because the themes are pretty complex in it. You know what I mean? Right. But from a school board standpoint, they're like, oh, it's about teenagers and these are teenagers. Therefore, it's easier than it's way easier than King Lear. Oh, we'll true. Put it that yeah, way. That's true. There's no way a teenager is going to get what's going on in King Lear. Um, there's always exceptions, of course. There's some fucking smart teenagers. I was not one of them. Or at the very least, we were smart in very different ways. I feel like I wasn't an idiot of a teenager. Like I understood most of what was going on. This part of the reason why I think Romeo and Juliet is is such a weird one because it's fairly brutal, more so than some of the other ones. Well, I guess Shakespeare just kind of in general is brutal, but uh, especially tragedies. Maudlin, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so exaggerated. Yeah, sure. Dramatic, you know, like it's it's such perfect for teenagers. We're like, oh, the world is so yeah, the, hard. The, the woe is me feeling. Yeah, sure. That's yeah, angst, right? Yeah, like yeah. The world is against us. Whereas King Lear is just like, I'm getting old and this sucks. <laughs> 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 Only one person really cares whether I live or die. Damn. Yeah, maybe we should have reading lists as adults, you know, things that we can relate to. It's funny that you say that because we have a reading list on the Random Badassery site now. Yeah, that's true. Recommends all the books that we keep bringing up over and over again. I w- I've forgot to mention that in this episode, so good thing you said that. I'll put a link to that. Everybody go check it out. Um, I have a couple recommendations real quick. These are not uh, media recommendations. These are kind of uh, health recommendations. Uh, one, they're really simple. They're short. If you're going to eat something with a lot of carbohydrates, like, for example, I just had pizza about 45 minutes ago. And if you're especially if you're somebody like me who is pre-diabetic, where your sugar levels will just shoot through the roof when you eat high-carb things, you can do two things to kind of uh, prepare yourself for that and to mitigate it. First of all, you can have a little bit of apple cider vinegar right before you start. Some For some people, that's enough. That's not enough for me to regulate the blood sugar. I'm not positive how that works, but it has something to do with regulating your blood sugar to s- keep it from spiking from the carbohydrates. But the other thing that I find is if I make a beverage of some sort, and I don't mean alcoholic beverage, just a normal beverage, and I put some fiber in it, you know, like Metamucil or Metafiber, yeah. Make- if you drink that at the time or after or before you've had the carbohydrate, it allows the sugars to hopefully bind with the fiber. Oh, interesting. 
which is why you don't get spikes from a lot of fruit because it's bound with fiber. So that that's one recommendation. And then the second thing is I've been I don't remember who told who told me about this and God I said that like I was there. What podcast I was listening to is probably what I should say. But they talked about heart rate variability. You know what heart rate variability is, Lim? I have no idea. So we talk about our heart rate, you know, like, oh, it's at 97. Anybody that has an Apple Watch that has sat and watched their heart rate on the Apple Watch for more than a minute notices that it moves around a lot. It's like 97, 98, 101, 96. It just keeps moving. That's heart rate variability because our heart rate is variable. It's not a constant. So it variates. When we talk about it in the terms of heart rate variability, um, it has a lot to do with our breathing. So the, number one, the, the higher your heart rate variability is, means the stronger your heart is. The more variability that your heart can tolerate, the stronger your heart is. So like somebody who has like a 10 variability on heart rate is probably not doing too well healthy. They're probably not getting a lot of exercise. They're probably overweight. Whereas I just heard something with an athlete who had like 130 Oh, shit. That's really, really high. That's like an extreme, extreme athlete. <laughs> what we should all be aiming for is like, I think, 40 or or above, of course. Anything Sweet above. Sweet Jesus. That's really high. 110? 130. 130. Wow. That's shocking. Yeah, it's insane. But that's like... This is like an... He's a doctor and a and a endurance athlete. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's like the guy that's eating all the right food all the time, probably. But uh, back to why I'm bringing this up is where you'll notice the heart rate variability is when you're breathing. When you breathe in and when you breathe out, your heart rate is a different rate mm. because your breath and the oxygen you're taking in affects the heart rate. So one way that you can help to increase your heart rate variability is to breathe out for four, or breathe in for four seconds. Make sure you breathe with your stomach and not your chest. And then breathe out for eight seconds. Mm. You're doubling the length of the exhale from the inhale. And this increases your heart rate variability. But what also it does is it actually will release endorphins if you do it for more than a minute. And it is literally, I've, you know, I've gone through anxiety and panic and all of that stuff in the past. Mm -hmm. I've done all kinds of breathing exercises. This is the only one that I've noticed a physiological response from. Interesting. Because like, sometimes I'll I'll get up and uh, because of my anxiety past, sometimes when I get out walking and my heart rate starts to go up because I'm exercising, it's going up in a good way. My body gets a little nervous because it's used to heart rate going up being a scary thing. So mm-hmm. there's this conditioned response. And if I just go into that breathing for like a minute, the nervousness disappears. Oh, crazy. It's fantastic. It's such an easy trick. And what I've been, it's so it, it will increase your heart rate variability over time as well, which I've seen. Mm-hmm. If you have the Apple Watch, you can go into the health, health app and look at heart rate variability. And I can see mine. It's been, in, it's been going up. I'm still only at like 23 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't, because of the shoulder thing, I haven't been boxing. Once I go back to boxing, it's going to shoot up even more because I do interval training with the boxing. Sure. It also increases heart rate variability. So those are my two recommendations. Ways to do things better. Dun dun dun. Play the play the music from the parquet commercial. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> parquet. Yeah. 
Parquet. Oh man, I was. I was no, nobody about, listening was probably alive when that happened. Well, I, I forget the, the. There's certain other things too, right? Like the the pearl cream. Remember that the pearl cream. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many of those random. Like, where's the beef? Like, where 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 have all the jingles gone? Yeah, I know. Every you know what it is. Everything. I feel like commercials got shitty. Well, commercials got less memorable when they changed the rule where you could use recorded musicians' music. You know, like bands. Like we have, like Polaroid had uh, that Cure song in it. The Stones being in a commercial, Led Zeppelin being in a fucking Cadillac commercial. When they all had to come up with their own jingles and stuff, it was so much more fun. Mm. They were ridiculous. Just the most ridiculous. You know, there was the local ones that if anybody is listening that wasn't in San Jose or in the Bay Area, you probably won't know this one, but I'm the credit man. Remember that? I don't actually. You don't remember Paul? No. The Diamond Center? Oh, yeah. Well, it, he would drive around in that Cadillac. He's, I'm the credit man. Duh, 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 duh. Oh, man. Yeah, I actually do remember yeah, that. Yeah, that cheesy stash. Kind of like yeah, Hopper that, that and Stranger Things. So, yeah, and he's he looked so dirty. <laughs> mm-hmm. That curly hair and like the members grave, members only jacket. Mm-hmm. I would totally wear that jacket. I feel like he had a toothpick too. Likely, the sunglasses. Was he in a convertible? Yeah, I think it was like a convertible Beamer. Mm. Or Mer- no, convertible Mercedes. That seems right. Yeah, like a silver Mercedes. There was a lot of those commercials, though, so I might just be remembering one. Yeah, they might just be blending together in your head. Yeah, I feel like that would be if somebody made like a... Somebody probably has a montage of all those type of things on YouTube. I would probably be the person who would sit there and watch it for like an hour. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it. Or like even... um, I remember... For some reason, I remember the, the, the... like the the Alaska Airlines commercials, dun, 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 and like they were really <laughs> very jingly, um, or what we would what would we think of as jingles. Um, yeah, there's a lot of brilliant stuff during that era, but that was also the era in which a guy like John Williams was crafting memorable and unique music that that defines. I mean, I love Hans Zimmer. Don't get me wrong, and a lot of the modern composers are really cool. Um, but there's something about that era and John Williams and the epic music that came from that era that was really unique. I don't remember. I think I was watching the Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. The oh yeah, who directed that um, Brian uh, Singer. I I actually really liked that one. Everybody hated it, and I actually really liked it. This was a while ago, but you know they bring in the John Williams theme in that movie, mm-hmm. and. It was probably the first time as an adult I had heard like the full Superman theme. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, fuck, this is, this is as good as the stuff he did for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It is as good because it's so epic. And so he just, he, the guy knew how to use a fugal horn. <laughs> that is the first time in my entire life I've heard that fucking sentence. Uh. <laughs> it really brought the room together, that fugal horn. Oh, damn fugal horn. Who knew? <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. We need like but, a we need like a gong or like a bell, like bing. You know, I there are certain there are certain musical scores that that I I 
in, in modern time that are really amazing though, that I've kind of not really been keeping track of, but that I noticed them because they're so rare now, you know, mm. like if you watch any of the, um, the Godzilla movies, the new ones, um, the scores are amazing. I mean, regardless of how you might feel about the movies, I think they're okay. Um, but the scores are incredible. And, and, you know, like Westworld, for example, and the, and sure that's adapting a lot of like nineties and alternative classics and stuff like that and turning them into saloon hits. You know what I mean? Um, like I, I think probably one of my favorite adaptations of a piece of music is the, um, piano version of heart shaped box that they made for the show. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable. It's really, really good. I've, I'm that painted black version or adaptation was excellent too. That was just yeah, amazing. absolutely. Yeah. And then that was they the did the first a, thing I'd ever seen of that show was just a clip with that song, and I was they like, did um, "Cash Rules Everything Around Me" by the Wu Tang Clan in <laughs> feudal in feudal Japanese, and it was so good, incredible. Yeah, it's just I, I love that kind of stuff. But I'm but I'm I'm a sucker for unique covers, though. That's kind of a thing. Yeah, me too. I hate when the cover is identical to the original. I'm like, why mm-hmm. waste the time? Yeah, then just listen to the original. Mess with it. That's the point. Mm, you reminded me of something, and I forgot. Um, Oh, well. Modern music... Well, there goes that. Oh, you know what? 12 Years a Slave. The score for 12 Years a Slave. Well, that's one of those ones that pay, most people probably didn't pay attention to. Sure. But there's a lot of interesting things going on in that movie. Like, for example, almost every time... Uh, you've seen that movie, right? Uh, yeah, but I don't remember it much. I feel, I feel... I kind of watched it in passing. So Benedict Cumberbatch plays a preacher named something Ford. And every time he is preaching, because he's he's like a, he's a racist piece of shit, right? Yep. Hides behind religion. But every time he's preaching, they play like a slave song, um, or what I assume is a slave song. And most of these songs have the N-word in them. And so it's like they're using that as a juxtaposition to show the hypocrisy of him. Because here he is preaching the Bible uh, and preaching equality. And then, you know, but he's a racist piece of shit. So they're playing these songs underneath it. But uh, then there's, amazing. there's a part where Solomon, the main character, is to be hung. And he's hanging. He just doesn't end up dying. And there is this sound in the soundtrack. Because it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, like Sergio Leone's... I mean, not Sergio Leone. I mean, they are his movies. But Ennio Morricone. Enzio Marconi, who's my literally one of my favorites. Yep, carry on. Um, Ennio, though, no, no Z. Um, and his music comes from abstract art and abstract music, actually. Mm-hmm. That's why it, the pace of the songs change and why he works the whistle and the gun and all of that. Well, the guy who did this was obviously influenced him because there's just so much dissonance in the 12 Years of Slave soundtrack. But the moment when Solomon's being hung, there is this metallic noise that is probably one of the most sinister things you would ever hear in any film. Mm. It's just, it just sounds like metal being dragged against metal. Ooh. It's and amplified. So huh, that, that's cool. That's one that I probably would go back and listen to outside of the movie. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave is a great example of a movie that you cannot watch on a small device. Mm-mm. Cause I watched that on a plane and on one of those tiny little screens with crappy sound. And I imagine my experience was not even close to complete. I feel like the only movie you should be watching on a small device, which actually I, I watch none. I've never seen a movie on a phone, but if you're going to do that cartoons 
or comedies, mm-hmm. like cheap throwaway comedies that you won't remember in a year. Sure. Because then the cinematography doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. And cartoons, who cares? Cartoons are fun. I would totally watch Scooby-Doo on my phone. I don't care. You know, I was not a huge fan of Scooby-Doo. I love Tom and Jerry, though. Scooby-Doo was the... It was, it's a repeated formula over and over again, but somehow it was the best. I don't know why. Well, sometimes you just find the thing that makes sense to you, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say about commercials, too. You know, like, the reason we remember this shit is just the way the weirdness of the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, you just happen to catch that little child brain at the right moment when it's, you know, because we're kids, our brains are all over the place. Yeah. The reason we remember things is it just happened to be the moment that we were paying attention. Sure. Like that. I remember I did this with somebody not too long ago, a couple of years ago. We were talking about a PBS show and those PBS shows from when I was a kid and yeah, you probably were born. You're only, what, two years younger than me? Yep. Um, these were very early on. So you might have still been maybe uh, not watching or remembering this stuff because you were a lot... Little, that two years is a big difference at, you know, when I'm four. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> in, in year two. But uh, there was this show and I probably saw it when I was four or five. And I remember it. And I remember telling somebody about it. And then it might have been Eric Victorino. And their eyes growing as they realized they knew what I was talking about. Huh. And, it was, and it wasn't... Back in those days, those shows were not long-run shows. Most of those shows got one season, maybe two. And there weren't a lot of reruns. So if you remember this stuff, it's, it's actually almost miraculous. And it was this show about a department store at night with a mouse that wore this like plaid beret a mannequin that came to life and this uh, puppet, this old old dude as a puppet who had a bushy mustache. That's all I knew. And in like 10 minutes, I was able to find it on the internet and watch an episode of it and remember the theme song. What the hell show is that? It's called Today's Special, I think. Or was called. I shouldn't say it's not current. Today's Special, I think. Yep, I, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, that, that's why I'm saying that two-year age difference might make a huge difference. Because we are talking... Let's just say... Oh, shit. Six years that was on. Okay, 81 to 87. Hmm. And it was Canadian, but we got it here on our PBS. But I, I watched it and I could remember it to the point where I was watching something I hadn't seen in... 30 plus years mm-hmm. for, and listening to it and singing the words. How's that? That's so random. That's so weird, right? That's the, that's the magic of the human brain. Well, I feel like there are certain things like that too. Like I, I have a weirdly good memory for specific things that triggered certain aspects of my childhood. Like there's a, um, do you remember Danger Mouse? Of course. Yeah, I, I, I was obsessed but... with that show. Um, and there's a big part of me that, that I don't know, is weirdly connected to it. Um, and that was, and was on like the shittier public access channels. That was mm-hmm. on like uh, 48 or something like that. Yeah, 36 actually, I think. No, 36 wasn't public access. Okay. Yeah, it was on some kind because it was an um, English show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was obsessed with Danger Mouse. I think a lot of my, my current aesthetic and, and like a lot of my sensibilities from that era comes from that specific show. That was a big show for me. And they also played a show 
on that same channel called Zoobly Zoo, mm -hmm. which was adults dressed as animals and Ben Vereen. Remember Ben Vereen? Oh, yeah. Holy crap. That, that was him. Um, but yeah, th that show, I in this house where I am, I remember watching that show 30 feet away from where I am right now on one of those big TVs that would look like, you know, when the TVs were inside of wood, mm -hmm. you know, when the TV was like a piece of furniture. Yeah. I remember watching it on that and then adjusting the antenna, adjusting the antenna so that I could watch Danger Mouse. Um, here, let's see if you can, if you can hear this. This is the song. See if it rings any bells for you. Oh, totally. Dude, that is so random. How weird is that? I swear I haven't thought of that in like 35 years. It's crazy. And that's, that's not so even crazy. that's not even the hook song. Mm -hmm. That's just like the intro. Yeah, what's funny is I remember the theme song, but I don't remember anything else. I'm going to send you the link and you can watch the thing. Obviously not right this second, but... Um, have we, have we, has this show turned into a, we're just going to, you know, share shit from our childhoods? At least in the beginning. I want to get this main hook. Here it is. Oh my God. Uh, okay. Uh, no, just for the beginning. I, th I feel like... I feel like the the warm up section of the podcast is kind of a chat. I was actually you bring me into something. I was talking about this with Tom on Monday. I had this idea where I was thinking about like all these. I'm sorry if I, this is going to be weird getting this out because I've already, at least as far as the audience knows, I've already talked about this. So I'm going to try to find a way to talk about this in a way that's not completely repetitive for them. I have this idea of all these notes that I take, right? Well, if they're facts and interesting facts, you know, like uh, trivia type stuff, mm -hmm. that's what goes in the news in my newsletter. That's what I put out in the newsletter. But then I have all the other ones that are like concepts and stuff that we talk about, even the stuff that we've talked about in the show. Like the last episode you and I did about intent and the importance of intent. Well, mm -hmm. that's an, that's a concept. That's an idea, right? Uh, the, the defining line of what intent the difference between intent and uh, you know like uh, saying a word purposefully and not saying a word purposefully and so taking those ideas and and finding a way that because you know like i think like this i'm always like i have a researcher brain and i'm always looking things up taking those things and trying to find something to do with that part of my brain and finding with all of those ideas collected, finding a through line, which I, I found a through line to do something that connects everything for me, but makes everything, um, gives everything new life, we'll say. So I've got these things on index cards, these ideas, and okay, what am I going to do with them? They're just sitting on index cards. Not all of them are index cards. Take those ideas, concepts, and bring them into, the, bring them into an episode with Tom and talk about it with Tom. And see what Tom thinks about that idea. What does yeah. Tom think about it? Because I'm thinking I've already thought about it for myself. Probably, it's going to force me to articulate it because I'm saying it. You know, like I haven't said it out loud yet. So I'm going to stumble my way into some things, like we talked about last time. Also, that conversation is a journey. I'm going to find things about what I think by talking to Tom about it, and I'm going to learn stuff from Tom and get a different perspective. And then 
take that same concept and bring it into the episode with you and find out what you think about it. Huh. And what I bring in will be different with you than what I brought in with Tom because now my, my perceptions will be changed by what I discovered and by what he shared with me and what, what his ideas were. And then take the, basically take that idea and imagine it as an index card. Now, you put it into a document and that's at the top. And underneath it is everything that comes out of both of those episodes. Now you're starting to flesh something out. Now you take that, I shouldn't say you, now I take that and I, I let it sit for a while. And I you know, move on to the next one. Every, every, every week is a different idea, right? Sure. Then after I've stewed on it and I feel like I want to dig in, I dig in, I find one, and I do a solo episode on my Patreon to try to flesh out over time what I've learned about this concept and what I think about this concept. Then I let that stew for a while. And then at some point, I take that episode and try to flesh that into an article. And I publish that onto Medium. So in the process of putting out the episode on Patreon, I would assume that I'm probably going to get some input from my patrons, which could change and alter the idea. And then when I put it on Medium, I'm going to get people's opinions and change and alter. But every time that I have to move it to a new form, I'm forcing myself to understand it more and more and to articulate it in different ways. First, I'm articulating it just as an idea on a piece of paper. Then I'm articulating it as part of a conversation with one person. Then articulating it as a conversation with another person. Then having to articulate it myself in words, spoken words. Then having to articulate it into writing. And then, after I've done all of that, and I've done all of that with many, many, many concepts over many, many episodes of this show, I might start seeing some kind of theme for certain mm-hmm. ones. Interesting. And if they group into certain themes, then I can take that and make it into a book. Like A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. Sure. Which is around the theme of getting lost. So what I want to do is we have the rough edges of the episodes, which is the random parts, you know, where we talk about the weird shit that we just talked about. And then at the end, we have our, for you and I, we have our challenges. And we talk about that and our uh, Patreon and all that stuff. And then for Tom, we have the questions that him and I do. But the tent pole, the thing that the, the thing that we can wander off into tangents about, but still have something to return to, is that idea or whatever concept that I bring into the episode. So, like for example, when Tom and I talked about what I'm going to talk to you about today, we went into like five or six different directions, but we kept going back to the main idea. And I was, one of the things I told him about that that I, I really enjoyed about that it was it reminded me of when you and I were doing the paranormal stuff mm-hmm. more often that we would go with those for as long in them as as long as we could until like we ran out of steam on it and then having another idea was always really nice because we'd hit that like lull mm-hmm. where we'd finished and be like okay so the next thing there's always that thing to sweep it up. But instead of having many, 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 many things, we go off on tangents and then we hit that dead spot. We can always go back to the tent pole idea. Okay, so back to intent, which we didn't know it, but that's exactly what we did in our last episode. Huh. We, we wandered off in one area and then we go back to intent. 
And we so wander we, back. So we naturally are, are evolving into that format anyway, whether we like it or not. That's honestly, that's where the idea came from. It was an idea of wanting to change the show because I don't want to change the show. Sure. It was a matter of looking at the way that the show functioned and going, oh, I can utilize this to do something bigger. Mm. And I thought that that would be a lot of fun to be able to actually watch people be able to be able to watch an idea grow. You know, because also like I've been reading Ray Dalio's book, Principles. And one of the things that he talks about in there is the idea of triangu- triangulation. I, there's Without having to go into his full story, he was diagnosed with some... Uh, I think it was a blood disorder or something like that that was going to kill him in like six months or something like that. So this this doctor... One doctor recommended one thing. I can't remember what the first doctor recommended. So he went and got a second opinion. And that doctor said... Well, oh, the first doctor said he was going to die. That's what it was. You're going to die. Um, the second doctor said, no, you're not going to die, but we're going to have to take your intestines and connect it to your esophagus. Jesus. Yeah. Um, then he went to a third doctor and he went to the third doctor and they did tests and found out they, they did a biopsy and they found out that he didn't even have the thing that they, they thought he had. Oh my God. So he said, and it's not because any of those doctors were bad. It's just because that's the way it looked to them. So he, his principle is to always triangulate, try to get three, three opinions on everything. Mm. Three trusted and valued opinions, not random opinions. So I was thinking, I'm like, one is you, two is Tom. And then even, I can even bring it up if I have a guest. You know, if it fits the guest, I could get a triangulation on ideas. Kind of, kind of crazy idea, isn't it? Well, plus I like the idea of you then putting it all together in the end. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I like the idea of, of looping them all back and creating um, some kind of through line that makes sense through the the conception of the idea all the way through to the very very end, which is the conclusions. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how it develops. You know, obviously it's an idea. Who knows? Maybe the only way it's ever going to work is just in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Maybe the writing an article thing never ends up working. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. Sure, but I, I like the, I, I like the I like the idea of the idea. The you know idea I mean? of the idea. Like the idea of of solidifying the ideas that way. Yeah, I like I like it's like uh taking things on a test run. Mm-hmm. You, you don't or rough drafts, right? You don't just do one draft. Yeah. You do many, many drafts. And that's one of the things I mentioned in the episode with Tom is I feel like there's a lot of writing out there that people go through the rough draft and then they publish. Mm-hmm. And then when they publish and it's exposed to the public, they take offense to the comments that they get because what they assume they've published is a final version. But it's only another step. Sure. And it's kind of like what Amanda Palmer does on her Patreon. Well, she'll put up like, uh, not rough drafts, but, you know, like uh, demos of songs and expose the audience to those. But that's not done. Because then she's going to take what she learns from that and build the song up more and build Mm -hmm. the song up more. And then she's going to produce it and put it on an album that she puts for sale. So it's a way to strengthen something, but it's also a way to, instead of that final product being the only important step, it's a way to make every step along the process important because the podcast becomes more interesting because even though there's all these other random things, there's people will know at least that, oh, this is the one that's about that one topic. Sure. 
even though it's about all those other things too, you know, today's special, this episode, it's, it's, somebody's going to remember today's special from it. But the main thing that they'll probably remember is the main topic that we're going to talk about. It's funny. I, I hear the wraparound voice from uh, last week. This week on Random Madassery. <laughs> um, we discussed know, Chad's toenails. I don't know why that just popped into my head as we were talking about this because it feels like it feels like it can become episodic. But the weird part about it is it's episodic in different places. So there's now a succession of episodes that don't live in the same medium that are telling the story. That's right. Fascinating. Well, what's also really cool about it too is if you if you think about it in the sense of uh, we'll, we'll use the example of that intent idea again. Just because you and I talked about that for an hour, and we'll say I also talked about it or. Uh, for Tom for an hour. Then we'll assume the other hour of the show is random stuff. Just because we talked about that for an hour with both all three of us doesn't mean we've mined that idea fully. So some of those ideas might need to sit and they might come back again. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because something might happen that we change our perspective. You know, like, um, who knows? If, if it's something about... Uh, intent and something happens in the news that I go, whoa that's a different way that I can see intent that I didn't see before. And it might come back in again. So we might be able to get to dig into it again and again. It's really fascinating to take ideas and use them as play structures instead of as um, well, as weapons, which I think they get used as a lot. Things to is, wield against that, others. What is that from? Words as, words as weapons is, is from somewhere. It's probably been used many, many times. Yeah, but there's a, like a specific album or something like that that I'm thinking of that I really liked, actually. Mm, I don't know. Um, I'll find it somewhere. I'll find it and post it somewhere. Oh, first action item. First action item. Good. We, we're, starting to, we're starting to recognize them in the episode. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. Words as weapons. Okay. Um, so, along those lines, the topic that I talked to Tom about on Monday... You see, this is perfect because I know that with your busy time, you don't get the time to hear Tom's episodes before you come in. Mm-hmm. And he definitely doesn't get to hear yours because I record with him like less than 12 hours after your episode comes out. <laughs> so what this is going to be really interesting for you and I because this is something we used to talk about all the time. We go back to the old days when this we were... When we were using fucking earbuds to record, back when we were stuff. using bullshit and plugging shit into our phones, you know what you're starting to sound like Terrence and Philip. I a little bit, yeah. I'm starting to feel that. I'm it, like it's creeping. You're it's such an asshole. Creepy. You're such an asshole. Uh, inf- personal information management or personal knowledge management. That's. Do you remember that? No. So we might not have used the term back then, but it's back when we used to talk about. OneNote, Apple Notes, Evernote. Oh, yeah, there. yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, we didn't use, at least that's not the term of it that I recognize, but I, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, so taking... The reason I brought it up is because um, I was going through this process of having these ideas. that, Like I said, a lot of them are actually on index cards. But I needed to be able to put them in a place where I could search them. And the reason search is super important in this context is I don't have the time to continually read every index card that I have to find everything that fits on one topic. Mm. You know, for example, 
I think I used alien as an example with Tom. I'll use it with you. If I want to find all the, I want to have this idea about aliens or something. Maybe it's about how ancient aliens definitely used ramps to build, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not the ancient aliens, but the, the ancient Egyptians used ramps to build the pyramids. So that's a big fuck you to the ancient aliens theory. Mm-hmm. So I want to find all of the notes that have to do with aliens or Egypt. I don't have time to read all the index cards. Just <laughs> I just don't, right? Sure. Not, I can do it once, but not every single time I have an idea. So I need to be able to go into something and type in alien and see everything that comes up and go, that's what I want to read. That one helps. That one helps. That one helps. Mm-hmm. Type in Egypt. That one helps. That one helps. And collect all of that so that I can bring that into the episode as things to bring up to spur the conversation and to, um, and anything that doesn't make it into the conversations can still be used in the other versions of the draft going forward, you know? So I was playing with our two old um, frenemies, Evernote and Divinthink. Mm. And just getting so frustrated because I couldn't find something that did very simple things that I needed to do. And so Tom and I talked about a lot of stuff. And one of the things that he brought up was something that you and I have definitely talked about before, desirable difficulty. Mm-hmm. That making it too easy and trying to find the thing that does all of the things that I thought I needed to do might actually be detrimental to that process. Sure. So um, I'm going to throw in a third app in there. I've been I have I've been playing around, and I've come up with some feelings <laughs> using these apps. The third app I'm going to throw in there is a possibility of Scrivener. So. Um, do you have any thoughts or feelings about those three programs for anything that I've said so far? Huh, trying to loop that all together. I can give you something more tangible if you need. Yeah, give me a little more tangibility than that. Like telling me or asking me what I think about all these things is, I mean, that's, that's an entire episode. Okay, maybe let me frame the question like this. If you were trying to do what I'm doing, the way that I've just described it. If you were going to take small snippets of thought, concepts, we'll call them, and put them somewhere that you wanted to be able to search them, but in a way that you could also group them or pull them together to, you know, to use in the way that I'm talking about. And then you might want to add notes to that. You know, so if, if th- this idea you have, well, after you talk about it with, well, after I talk about it with, with you, I'm going to have ideas that I didn't have before. I need to add that to the note. Um, So what would you, if you were just, if that's all you knew and you were just going to go into it, how would you approach that? If it were me, because my brain thinks in narratives, I would begin to construct a narrative. Um, So I would write it. My brain thinks best in script form. So I would probably use Scrivener. So when you say a narrative, what... So there's How do you a sto- build a narrative so around a concept? So there's a story here, right? Like there's with every concept, especially with what we're talking about, there's a goal to be desired. Um, there's something that you're trying to achieve. Um, like in this particular case, for example, the end result is an article that summarizes the core of the ideas, the journey that the the idea itself has taken through the various filters that it's gone through, whether it's people or whether it's conversation um, or or in the episodes themselves or things that you read. Um, there's an end 
there's an end result here. And sometimes telling the story along the way helps you to understand what the narrative is supposed to be. Like I, it, it would always, in my brain, it would always live as a, this is the starting point or this is the challenge. This is the introduction into the story. And then there's, at some point, there's a point of no return. So I would go full Joseph Campbell on it. Um, you know, there's a point of no return, like an introduction of the hero, point of no return. And at one point or another, you reach a point in the concept or the idea where the conclusion of that concept or idea leads to an epiphany that changes a course of action that adds either a tool or a methodology into what you do on a daily basis that fundamentally changes who you are and how you do things. So I would start with the concept, like the core idea of the concept, and then I would end with the conclusion of why that concept has evolved into what it is and how it serves in your life or whether it does or it doesn't. Like there are times where, you know, the, 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 the hero fails, you know, like the, the, the idea itself fails and that then becomes, um, a conclusion in end of itself. Hmm. I definitely, that's, that's really interesting. I have to think about that. Because I, I like to think of things in terms of narratives. I mean, that's how my entire day is to be honest with you with almost everything that I do. I always think of everything in terms of a story. Yeah, see, that's it's definitely something I have to think about in the sense that that's not what I was thinking about at all. These are what I'm imagining these to become are non-narrative essays. So an essay extrapolated... <laughs> and, the way, and the way I picture them is fully narrative essays. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I'm imagining this as an extrapolation upon an idea. So like uh, things expanding out from an idea. The mm. intent, what is intent? And then, so uh, think of them more as philosophical treatises. Well, and even I, I like an article. But, but you see, the thing is that as much as I love discussing the phil- philosophical world, and as much as I enjoy, I, I'm, I'm, uh, and maybe it's just where my brain is right now. I'm very much a pragmatist when it comes to how those philosophical things function in a person's life. So if I can't tangibly change an action because of a philosophical belief, then it's inherently useless to me. Yeah, and see, that's not my purpose. Is my purpose of these is not for me. Mm. Um, I'm actually digging into something that come, came from you, the idea that I'm naturally a teacher. Ah, uh, okay. That I can naturally take an idea and expose myself to it, but then expose myself to other people's opinions of it and come to a deeper understanding of it and then be able to teach it. But you see, that's, that's the end goal is then the teaching. Right, but that's you're looking at that as the arc of my... That's the arc of what it's like for me. That's not. Oh, no, no, no I understand, but it's so that so will not mis- be in the writing. Yeah, so don't misunderstand me. The the so so now at least from a narrator's, or I'm sorry, from a narrative perspective, you understand what you're trying to achieve at the very end of the narrative, which is a way to be able to tell the story of this idea in such a way that that a person can understand it. Right. Yeah. See, I I, I understand what you're saying now. Um, I think that I think that with with story, when you said story, I automatically went to magazine article. Oh no, no, which magazine article is always like written in story structure, where it's like, "Well, I went to meet this guy, and this guy told me, you know, like the Malcolm Gladwell writes like that. It's great. It's not the. It's not what I want to do. True. Um, That's so that when you said that word, that's why clarification was really good there. Because yeah. when you said that word, that's automatically where I went. Now I understand what sense. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then 
when you've created your story of how you know you've you've come to that that definition from a technical point of view, how would you begin to approach the the gathering and collection and utilization of the information as you as Lamb? Oh man, that's really tough. The reason it's why tough. that's that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, the reason why it's really tough is I feel like you have to give yourself enough room for it to evolve, but you have to ha- give it enough structure to have a direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest part is the balance point between those two things. Like in my mind, it would make sense as a larger overview. So like a, a, I would write it in an outline form. Um, and I would use the outline form to organize the ideas. But I have a feeling that as the conversations happened, that outline would... I would just blow up that outline and redo the outline all the time. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, these are some of the problems that I've had. You know, where I was like, oh, I could use... Maybe I could use a mind map but the problem with a with like a mind mapping thing is it's too linear. Yeah, exactly. And the process. This is a really nerdy episode, guys. So sorry if you don't like the nerdy stuff. Come back next week. Yeah, but you know what? Though I feel like this is really useful for constructing ideas and solving problems. Well, like, this I feel is, like I feel like I inherently do this all the time anyway. I just do it on a smaller scale. And this is a nerdy show, anyways. And yeah, this is what this is. A, this, in some ways, is probably one of the most. Uh, Lamb and Chad conversations that we've had on the podcast. Yeah, we're actually. <laughs> so, if, so if you want to get a sense for how our conversations typically go, this is about right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's dissecting and trying to construct a process. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, regardless, we, you and I um, come from uh, a lot of different perspectives on certain things, but I think that at our core, both of us are fascinated by the idea of being able to build a sturdy process that we can rely on. And set it and forget it type thing. You know what I? You know what I feel like I would need. I would need a physical representation of these things. What I would probably do is make a giant cork board with index cards and just pin and and put strings all over the place. Yeah, the problem with that is it's not as flexible as you think it is. In the sense that, um, actually, you know what? Maybe maybe I haven't made clear enough the size of the information that we're dealing with because. That could work if the tidbits of information were larger. You know, for example, if I were taking an index card and there was enough information on there to fill the whole first side and maybe part of the back side. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about things that might just be one sentence, that everything's broken up into like one sentence fragments. Well, then maybe it's not an index card. Well, I, I, the, the size of the, the thing, I mean, even if it's like the size of a fortune cookie, um, fortune is 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 inconsequential it's just the the idea of i would need a in my mind it's not about the size of the cards it's about needing a physical representation of it right no i'm getting i'm getting what you're saying but what i was going to say after that is if the smaller they get because they're broken into smaller fragments of information so one sentence two sentence here that means that they can connect to more than one card Mm. or more than one idea and more than one concept so something that we say about intent might also show up in a conversation about language. Mm. It might also show up in an article about you know three or five other things. So if you're physically drawing a string from pieces of fortune cookie-sized pieces of paper to like 20 different things, after you have 20, 30 ideas on the board, you won't be able to see where any of those strings go. Oh, anymore. sure. Yeah, yeah. Then it becomes a complicated mess unless you yeah. have basically like a room-sized wall. Exactly. That's why I'm saying the fragment size of the information. I should have made more clear to you um, because you, that's, I thought about that, to be honest, but it's just not logistically possible because of that. You what, know, about if you a, ha- what about a huge chalkboard? No, because 
it's still the same oh, problem. Oh, yeah, same, same idea. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. So what I've... Let me, let, me, let me tell you some of the failed attempts I've had so far. <laughs> okay. um, first of all, I started with DevonThink. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought DevonThink would be perfect because DevonThink allows you to do things like put things in multiple folders. Mm-hmm. So it shows up in multiple folders, but technically they are connected in the sense if I, if I have an X-Files note in a folder called the company and in a folder called aliens mm-hmm. and I change something in the one that's in the alien folder, it also changes in the decovery folder. I see. So, so the basically the same document it's, it's, it's essentially a tag, but it looks like a folder there, but they also have tags. So you could start to build a structure, but your structure is going to be hierarchical. So you're going to, you're going to have books and then the name of the book or the author and then the name of the book. And then you're going to have notes in there. And the problem with using a hierarchical structure is that you have to do what I said, put it in multiple folders. So you end up with a fucking shit ton of folders. Mm-hmm. Then the searching becomes difficult because then yeah, you go, that, okay. That feels tedious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the reason I started with Devon Think though is because Devon Think has that AI where it understands what the words in the, in the note are about. So if you search for something that's not exactly words and notes, but they are words that they think are related mm-hmm. in another note, um, using aliens example again, if I say extraterrestrial, the AI can understand that I'm talking about aliens. Mm. It's going to bring up notes that have the word extra, extraterrestrial in it. So I thought that would be a really great feature. And then that's what Tom and I talked about. He's like, well, maybe that's making it too easy for you. Mm. And you know, you're relying on the machine to find those things for you. And I, I, I came to, to agree with them in the sense that maybe I need to be able to have to search alien, aliens, UFO. And in through, through that process of doing those searches individually, I might find some happy accidents, mm. which may enhance. Um, so then the next thing I started playing around with this idea in Evernote. And the moment I started playing with Evernote, I was like, I, it hit me. I'm like, oh, Scrivener. Because as you know, in Scrivener, you can go click this idea, click this idea, click this idea, and it puts it all in that scrivening document where it looks like one document mm-hmm. where you can read them all together, which is a really cool feature. I mean, that's, what I, that's, that's honestly why I thought Scrivener was the right, I, the right way to do it. I like to see it all in one place. And Scrivener's search, to be honest, is the shit. They have a very fantastic search. The problem I found, I, I jumped into Scrivener and I started doing it. I put about... 15 notes in and after 15 notes I realized the problem. Hmm. It's how the binder works on the left-hand side. The binder on the left-hand side shows every document that you put in. So when you get over like 100 documents, that binder on the left is fucking packed. So as you start putting in what I'm imagining is going to be thousands of bits of data into there, it's going to become completely unwieldy. Yeah, and I think that that's where I didn't understand what your idea was. Is that the I didn't understand the scope? Yeah, yeah that so, seems that seems unrealistic. So you imagine this? Like I have this box for index cards in front of me. That is, it's the length of my forearm. It's the de- the depth of my forearm. So from my elbow to the the bottom of my hand. So what is that like? A that's the size of my foot. So it's the size of an eleven eleven. Shoe size eleven shoe. Jeez. Okay, that is eighty five percent full of index cards, and that is about 
a fourth or a third of what I'm going to put into the program. Good Lord. Those are the only ones I'm going to have to type. Everything else is collected somewhere else digitally already. Mm -hmm. So then I went back to Evernote and I started screwing around with Evernote. And I had this process where I didn't, I had to, I had to go through and, and go into each of those things. Because every time I went into one of those apps and started playing with it, I learned what I really needed. That, oh, this isn't what I need. I need something that does this. And then I would go and I'd try an idea and I actually came to a learning process. And what I, with the Evernote, I came to this point where I was putting in... Let me, let me see if I can find an example at least. We'll say this right here. There's a quote from Joel Schumacher, right? Where he's talking to David Fincher. And it's from this book called Dark Eye by James Swallow. So what I was doing was putting this quote in as a, da- as a data point. And then I was tagging it with Joel Schumacher, tagging it with David Fincher, tagging it with Dark Eye, tagging it with James Swallow, and then tagging it with the year, and then tagging it with book. Okay? Because I was thinking, oh, that's great, because then when I want, I can just search and give me everything that has to do with... Um, James Swallow and Joel Schumacher. Boom. That's going to come up, right? Seems like a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that's not the way that I was going to be searching for these things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I started to do it. And I'm like, that's, that's going to be great, except for the fact that that's not how I'm going to search for these things. And that's not how I'm going to use these things. And that's, well, that's why I haven't... Horribly unfortunate. <laughs> It's unfortunate, but it's not unfortunate in the sense that, number one, I figured it out after only doing a few notes. Going, oh, this is not how I want it. And this is not how it's going to work. And uh, Which is definitely an improvement from the old days when you and I used to talk about stuff like this, where we would dive all in and get all the information in and then realize, oh, this doesn't do what I want. Sure. That happened Uh, a lot, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably why I learned to only start moving a little bit of notes at a time. Sure. So... You can see why this is why it's a difficult problem. Absolutely. Well, the problem. I mean, maybe maybe then the, it's not just about the problem itself. That I mean, I'm sorry, it's not about the process, but the the the, the type of information you're trying to dissect here. Maybe you have to start on a smaller scale so that you can figure out the ins and outs of how and why it works the way that it does, and then build a process that is scalable from that point. Right. Well, I think I'm I'm. Uh, this is a possibility. I think I may have found a process. Okay. Um, so what I had to do is I had to ask myself, okay, how is this going to happen? So imagine all, this, all of these notes are already in there, in an app, regardless of which app. How am I going to access it? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I will say I'm reading a book and um, we'll, we'll go with Ray Dalio. That idea of triangulation, right? Triangulation, I probably don't have anything under the under triangulation, but how would I look for that if I was going to? I'd probably go over to the app and type in the word triangulation. Sure. See if anything comes up. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes up, right? We'll say it. Then I would go, okay, think about what this idea means. Oh, it's about uh, the power of other people. Boom, the moment I type that in, I'm going to get all the shit from Henry Cloud from that book, The Power of Others, mm-hmm. plus anything else that has to do with that topic. So the tags don't mean shit because I would never be searching by tags. I would always yeah. be searching by keyword. Sure. So, so 
what I decided to do is put in the ideas and, you know, I can still, the sources can just be part of the note, you know, like uh, James Swallow, Dark Eye. I don't remember what year that book's from, but we'll say 2007. I can just type that at the bottom of the note. So if I wanted to search for James Swallow 2007, that's still going to come up. I don't need to have tags to do that mm-hmm. because the search is robust enough. But sure. what I can do is... So I'm typing in triangulation. And we'll say that triangulation did work. Say four things came up for triangulation. And only two of them are pertinent. So what I can do is... Um, Triangulation of ideas. Then we'll say that that's the concept that I'm going to bring into the show. The idea of using three people to vet out a process. So I'm going to call that concept triangulation of ideas. Now I have the two notes that I think work. I can tag both of those with the concept triangulation of ideas. But then, but then the search from that point is about searching for the concept versus searching the keyword of the concept. No, no. The, well, the, the keyword is just to find information. Okay. But then using the tags is a way to group them. So you think about them as flexible folders in the mm. sense that that note might need to go in a different place as well. Sure. So I, if, if a note has 15 different tags, it can show up in 15 different concepts and 15 different episodes and 15 different articles. But by using tags, it gives me that flexibility. So that when I go, okay, I just tagged that, boom, boom. There's my research for the first step. And then I come into the show and I say, okay, I, tie, I go in and I click that tag. Now only the notes that I think are pertinent to the topic I want to discuss for the episode are going to show up. And I can try to work those into the conversation. And then when I'm done, I take a note of things that happen in the conversation, tag it with that too. So that when I come into the next episode with you, I click on that tag. Now I have all of those information plus the new ones. And then I take notes from that and tag that. And then when I go in to write the article, I click the tag, boom. And if I've added anything in the meantime, because I know that tag's there now, I might automatically tag something when I enter it. Hmm. Oh shit, this this has to do with the triangulation idea. Boom. And I think that's going to work. Man, that requires you to change the way your brain works. Not really. Not really. I think that that's really natural. To you, that does not feel natural to me. Like I would not be able to do it that way. What, what about it feels unnatural for you? Hmm. So as much as I know that the concepts that you're trying to deal with are not linear concepts by nature, I would need a linear construct to be able to understand it. Your tag, your tag will be your linear construct. Maybe I, I'd have to see it in practice. If you think about, let me let's use something simpler than triangulation. Let's just use clowns, <laughs> <laughs> just to make it entertaining. Okay? <laughs> Say you okay. want to write something right, about with you. Here we go. fucking clowns, right? Fucking clowns. Okay, so clowns. Got so it. So you're reading a book and you find out about Bozo the Clown. You go, oh, that that's interesting. When I write something about clowns, I might, you know, actually, you don't even say that. You just go, that's interesting. And it makes it into your into your Evernote, and then okay. you're watching the sideshow season of you would never do this the sideshow season of American Horror Story. Thank you for recognizing that I would never do it. And maybe there's a clown, and there's something in there that you think is interesting concept about a clown. 
echoes in the Evernote. And then you're watching it and something in it goes in there. And then you're reading a magazine and something about that. Okay, so you're throwing all this stuff in there. You haven't done any grouping. You're literally just capturing. Now you go maybe a month later and you're like, I have, I want to write something about a clown or about this concept of clowns being, I want to write something about how clowns used to be beloved, but now everybody talks about being afraid of clowns. Mm -hmm. That's the concept I want to talk about and write about. So in order to do that, I need to search for clowns. So then you search and all of those notes come up for clowns, right? Because you've searched for the word clown. Mm -hmm. But maybe only, say you have seven, and only four of those seven pertain to, uh, I can't remember the word for clown phobia, but it's, uh, we'll just call it clown phobia. Only maybe four of those relate to clown phobia. So you tag those with clown phobia, right? Okay. Now that they're tagged with that, you have your linear. Because when you click clown phobia, all you're going to see is the linear, linearly, the notes related to that topic. So you it, think of it as a focus mode where you have all your notes and you go, I don't want to see all my notes. I just want to see the notes about the thing that I'm going to talk about. Okay. And then when you talk in the next... Uh, so you take that into the next episode, all you're doing is adding to the research on that topic. And then you go into the next episode, all you're doing is adding to the research of that topic. And then when you write the next article, all you're doing is extrapolating from the research that you have on that, that topic and trying to formulate it into an idea. And then you're going to get feedback and you're going to take that and that adds research to the next draft and then so on and so forth until you end up in the book. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. But it's still, I don't know, something about it seems a little... Yeah, I mean, I, are you I attached guess, to the idea of folders? Do tags make you uncomfortable as as a folder substitute? I, I think that's I think that's where I think that's where I'm having the biggest hang up. Let me tell you this: um, it took me a while to get over that. There's there's exactly the same thing. The only difference is that when something's in a folder, that's the only place it can be. I think I, I think I have to train my brain to see them that way. Like I don't I don't think of them that way, and I think that's the problem. When you add a second tag to something, think mm-hmm. of it as Xeroxing it and putting it in another folder. Okay. Because that's what you're doing. Because you're, you're creating references. But mm-hmm. they're all... The, uh, to the computer, a tag and a folder are the same fucking thing. The only difference is when one thing goes in a folder, that's the only place it can be. So like, for example, if you had tax documents from 2019, you could make a folder called tax documents 2019. But then that's, you know, if you want to look at all your tax documents, now you got to dip into tax documents 2018 and come back out and go into tax documents 2019 and come back out. But if you tag it and say, these documents, all these documents are tax documents. These ones are tax documents from 2019. So now they have both tags. So if I want tax documents from 2019, I click both tags, I get that folder, tax documents 2019. If I want all my tax documents, I remove the 2019 and now I see a folder of all my tax documents. Does that make sense? I think I'm starting to understand, yeah. Because I I think that where my brain... There was a limitation in my brain as to something only being able to live in one place properly because it's a folder. Right. And being able to disassociate that thing with a folder 
and making it, I, it would just, I would just have to start thinking differently about how my brain organized information. Yeah, I think that the tag thing, I, my problem when I had tag things is I thought of tags as labels. Yeah, same here. That's, that's kind of how I see them, actually. Yeah, they were like descriptors. Mm-hmm. But when you start to think of them as flexible folders, then they've become super powerful. That's one of the only things that actually I think that Evernote nails over any other, any other note project or note app is the tag system. Mm. The only one that competes in tags is DevonThink. But DevonThink doesn't allow you to do what I just said very easily. You have to learn, you have to, learn to do it. In, in Evernote, you can go to the tag thing and you can click those tags. That's really fast. Say, taxes, 2019, boom, there's all my documents. That's very fast. And I don't have to memorize anything. But in DevonThink, you have to learn Boolean which is using ands and but if and you know you have to learn a language to put in the search box to make those things happen does that you understand what i mean by that yeah i do so that's why i think evernote is the right thing for this just because Ugh. the one sorry. <laughs> sorry just the thought of that the only two things i need it for are search and tags that's it that's the only two features i need and and if tags are being used the way that you're describing, like if I can somehow, if I can somehow wrap my brain around the idea of of a tag not living in a specific place, then I think I'm, I'll I'll get what you're trying to get towards. Well, and think about the beauty of this. One of the things that sucks about folder structure is how much space it takes up on the screen, right? You know what I mean? Like because it's got to have the icon and all, and so you you get less on there. You know, you want to look at all your folders and then you have to have the, you know, the collapse. This one is under this one. And this one's under this one. It takes mm-hmm. up a lot of space. But if you go into the tag section of Evernote and look at that list and think of that, all of the, all of the concepts that you could possibly want to write about, think about going to that page and seeing just that written there. And now suddenly you have a list of options. Mm. So you go in and you go... Oh, uh, clown phobia. No, I'm not interested in that right now. Banking on trust. No, I'm not interested in that right now. Creative energy. Yes. Okay. I want to bring creative energy into the next episode. Boom. And then you just click on that and then you have all the stuff that you bring in and it's one click. Hmm. It's, it's yeah, a, that makes sense. It's a, it's been a weird process. It's been like a four or five day process of me banging my head against anything that was flat and <laughs> in the vicinity of my forehead from my monitor to my phone to the flat part of my desk, like just complete frustration. I'm figuring out because I knew that if I didn't figure out the system, I couldn't do any of this. Sure. Because there's no way that I was going to do this using notebooks. Oh yeah. No, that seems like madness. Well, yeah. And what am I going to like draw an arrow? <laughs> you can go this page. I mean, you could do that with annotations. It just be, but the problem is you wouldn't have the search, mm-hmm. and the search is the one reason that this has to be digital. Well, the referential data um, and the ability to access it quickly is—I feel like it's impossible to do this otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to read and say I had fucking fifteen composition books full of stuff, mm-hmm. if I had to read all fifteen. To prepare for the next episode, 
There's no fucking way. I'm going to read 15 composition books every week. Yeah, that's madness, dude. No way. No fucking way. So it had to be digital. And trust me, I, I mean, I wanted to find a way to do it with the index cards. But you can't... The only way you could do it with the index card would be to literally make multiple copies of index cards. Hmm. Which, when you're talking about physical paper, is slowly taking up space. Yeah, it sounds insane. So if, you know, like... uh something generalized like this quote here, I am alive with creative energy. Say that could fit into any kind of fucking topic that you can pretty much think of that has to do with creativity. Mm -hmm. Am I really going to put that in 45 different sections of a box with 45 different cards? Fuck no. No, that seems crazy. It's just not logistically intelligent. Mm -hmm. So you have to, this is a point where digital actually is the preferred medium. Hmm. I would like to see this in practice. You're going to because... Because <laughs> I won't have a choice. <laughs> it's literally, we're in it already. This is oh. a topic. We're talking about personal information management. What we've talked about here is going to make it onto a note. So the next, the next time that, you know, like the next time I talk about this topic, it's probably going to be a solo Patreon episode where I try to take everything that I learned myself, I learned from you, and I learned from Tom and put that into some kind of idea that's interesting. Dude, you just kind of blew my mind right now. How so? We're talking about the thing we're doing. <laughs> I know. This is very meta. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inception, baby. <laughs> I love it. You're like, we're doing it right now. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Sometimes I think... Oh, the, People probably think we are high. That's the most... I was literally just going to say that. That's like the most stoner stoner (laughs) thing I've had... I've experienced in a really long time. Like in the computer. You know what what I find fascinating about our conversations is... The nerdier we get, somehow the more we laugh afterwards. Well, I feel like a lot of it, a lot of it is because these are such weird, high-minded ideas. Like, I mean, the the concept... who, Who the hell else thinks about this shit? Yeah, who the hell else would fucking be crazy enough to make an episode, two episodes about it? We have we have these these moments where we'll sit there and talk about some nerdy shit like this for hours. Like we'll do this in person. Um, by the way, I apologize for the scraping noise. There's a dog in the room and he's playing with a toy, and I can't get him to stop. It's funny um, you say that because Latte just like tried to climb in my lap right now. Dude, it's it's the dog witching hour. I don't know what the hell's going on. Dog hour. You want to say hi, buddy? But that that was probably. The un- the most unintentionally funny thing you've said to me this year. We're doing it right now. <laughs> I'm like, no way. <laughs> so stupid. We're in the Matrix right oh, now. So We're in Chad's Matrix. Um, I, in the time that we've been talking about this, have just downloaded um, Evernote again just because I want to play with it and see if I can use it that way. Because I, I get what you mean from a theoretical standpoint, but now I have, to, I have to see how it actually physically works. I think one of the things too that is really important for me mm-hmm. in stepping back into Evernote is to use it for this one thing and this one thing only. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems I think, not only with Evernote, but with many apps in the past, I've tried to use them for everything. Sure, sure, sure. And then once that happens, it becomes overwhelming. And then, you know, like... Uh, Sure, Evernote search is pretty good. So, you know, oh, you know what? Maybe instead of having all my tax documents, sorry, tax documents come up so much, but this is real. 
maybe instead of having them on my iCloud, I should put them on my Evernote. Sure. Um, by the way, nobody do that because Evernote is not as secure as iCloud. But you start doing that. And then when you do these searches and then you get muddied searches, so then you have to start creating more robust searches. Mm-hmm. If, if I keep it just for this one thing, then when I search, I only have to search for that one word. I don't have to say search for that one word in this folder under these tags. Mm, sure, sure, sure. So the, the oh, that makes sense. The more the you explain the it, the more extent, the, the more you explain it, the more it makes sense to me. Yeah, the less you have to narrow things down to find the information you need, the better. Yeah, because that you take the tedious part out of it. And I think that uh, in going into this, I was, I had this sudden realization. I was like, why is there personal information management and personal knowledge management? Why? Why do they keep going back and forth between those two? And then I took off the word management. When I say personal information, what do you think of? I think of, you know, my... I don't even know how to describe that. Like my personal documents. Um, exactly. Like tax documents. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Serial numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, photocopies of receipts. Yep, exactly. Shit like that, right? Yeah. yeah the per- and when I say personal knowledge... Mm-hmm. That's more like what we're talking about. And sure. I think that's the difference between the two. I think personal information management is managing your personal documents. Mm. But personal knowledge management is managing, is creating a second brain. You know, huh. it's, it's creating a, a uh, fuck, what is that word called? Wow. Big brain for it. What do you call it? What's a system with the word data in it? Um, <laughs> wow. Database. Holy shit. Oh, Jesus. That's a big fucking black hole of a thought right there. I have no idea what the hell you were talking about. Okay, carry on. 80 per, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Lamb has an 80% success rate when I throw out random shit like that, which is really impressive. <laughs> I usually have a pretty good guess. I didn't even know where you were going with that one. Yeah, it's okay. Sometimes I need to hang out to dry. <laughs> People yeah, can yeah. see that. Yes, I have lots of words, but sometimes there are big fucking Swiss cheese holes in my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's when you're not doing this in front of a microphone it's so much easier because if we were doing that person i probably would just sat there and waited till i remembered the word but when i'm recording i feel like i have to keep making noise maybe i should just grunt next time <clears throat> like i'm yeah. constipated or, or maybe it's okay that there's no noise for a second mm. oh tom's tom tom is a pauser i'm not as much like- of a yeah he, he pauses he'll wait he doesn't do a lot of what I do, where it's just like I start a sentence and go, oops, that's not where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. He'll start a sentence and then if he's not positive where he's going, he'll just pause. And then like he'll say, you know, I was going to the store and he'll just allow that. And I, I find that very impressive mm. because I wish I did that in person more. But I always mm. feel like I'm, my mouth is running and I'm trying to catch up with it. Yeah, I definitely always feel like I have to fill the space. I realize that's a bad instinct, but still. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a good thing that we record it because making noise is kind of the point of this thing. Oh, well, now that we've talked about some nerdy stuff, hey, do you have any... Um, I know I threw out some recommendations. Do you have, have you run across anything that you'd like to recommend? You're more than welcome to say no. Um, Don't feel you have to be on the spot, but I thought I'd ask. Uh, I, I feel like this is something that it's it's not a it's not a, a specific thing as much as it's a, a, a process. Um, listen to mindless music 
every once in a while for a continuous amount of time. Well, no, no, mindless is mindless is stupid. That's not the right way to say it. Listen to music without lyrics, mm. um, because mindless is not. It's it's not even. It's it's such a wrong way to put that because what I'm what I tried to achieve in it is mindfulness. Um, so actually, it's it's good to listen to something that that forces you to focus on something that isn't words, that isn't a conversation, and and allows you to feel a feeling. Um, for example, um, I, my first experiment with this was listening to Claire de Lune, which is one of my favorite pieces of all time. Uh, another action item. We should probably post a link to that. Um, Claire de Lune um, and then Marconi, the soundtrack for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, and then specifically the entire soundtrack for Westworld Season 1. Um, just stuff without lyrics so I could focus on the emotion or the the emotion that, that if it evoked in me that wasn't uh, something that I was being told by someone else. Like you know, having having the person who's singing the song telling me how I should feel about it. And it actually came from that Willie Nelson song that, we, that I shared with you guys. Um, I, I realized that the strength of the emotion in that was Willie Nelson telling me how I should feel about a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the the extrapolation of that for me is being able to feel on my own terms when it comes to the piece that I'm listening to. And I feel like listening to pieces without lyrics makes that much, much easier. Um, so my instinct is to, to, to now take a piece at random. And sometimes it's something mindless and stupid, like electronic music, for example. Um, I usually don't like electronic dance music. Like EDM is just not my thing. But every so often I will listen to a piece of EDM just so I have no, I have no, I have nothing guiding me through the the emotions that I should feel through a piece of music. I find that with classical music or something like that, it works a little bit better because the music in end of itself has a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's up to me to fill the space with the idea that I have in my head about the sound that I'm hearing. Yeah, I did. Uh, I made a playlist when I was writing uh, at the coffee shop every day, pre-latte days. Latte the dog, not the drink. I guess I should clarify that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Starbucks. <laughs> oh, sure. But I made a... I mean, actually, I made two playlists because I don't... When I write, I can't have words. Because when you're trying to formulate words, other words coming at you, at least for me, is a no-go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like I had stuff from the second Tron movie soundtrack. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, what else? That, that was an entire Daft Punk soundtrack, wasn't it? Daft Punk made yeah. that book. Yeah, but it's it was more orchestral than the normal work. Which, speaking of, it's the only Daft Punk thing I've ever liked. I I, I was okay with other stuff. I'm never a huge fan, but then I'm not really like like you said, not really an electronic dance music kind of person. Yeah, sure. Inception soundtrack, the Interstellar soundtrack. That was another great one. Mm-hmm. Moon soundtrack. Oh, the Interstellar soundtrack. Oh, the Moon soundtrack is amazing. Plus, I love that movie too. And District that is, Nine. That is Sam, Sam Rockwell at his very, very best. But oh, yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it is it is a virtuoso performance, and it is probably a career defining one, which is unfortunate because very few people I know have actually seen that movie, including movie people. Right. And so, what works for me too is jazz, and then um, I had because. At the time, I don't know if this will make it into the newer version of the novel, but originally one of my concept ideas for the main character was that he was very much into Pink Floyd. Mm. So I made a playlist of all the instrumental Pink Floyd songs. So I would listen to that a lot. And that was that was an interesting journey too. But yeah, I know what you mean about like the, the words said they intrude, especially as you get older. 
I think when you're younger, you're able to block it out easier. Kind of like being in a loud bar. There are certain times though where the the, the music, where the words don't intrude. Um, and I find that it's the style of voice. And I, I assume it's probably different for everyone too, but I find that certain styles of voice um, don't feel preachy to me. They're not telling me what to do. You know what I mean? Um, like I feel like a, a good example of that, another another um, action item here is to put a piece in there by Dottie. Uh, she's a, an artist that, that has a very soft and very conversational singing voice. And so because of that, I feel like conversation or I feel like listening to her is not as participatory as listening to someone like Willie Nelson or something like that, where I feel like it's a parable or a fable. And it's telling me to, to it's, it's telling me the, giving me an example of something that I should or shouldn't do. I'm going to say, I'm going to change that action item for you to do that as your first song post on our Instagram story. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I will, I will that way you can that. pick which song, which song you want to put up as far as the, the Claire de Lune, that'll be in the show notes. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I think for me, I'm less worried about what people are telling me to do with just the fact that words intrude when I'm trying to think of words. Um, I see. You know, when you're trying to formulate a sentence and somebody's, you know, somebody's singing about money, you know, Pink Floyd singing about money, and I'm not writing about money, it's not really what I want to be thinking about. <laughs> you know, if I'm writing about sex, maybe not, maybe not, a, it could be, but most often not. Not likely, sure. Yeah, every once in a while you might get a happy accident, but the 99% of the time that you don't it just makes for bad writing. Bad writing. Ba, ba, ba. My friend Ken used to write to music with lyrics, but he would find very specific songs or artists that matched what he was trying to write. Mm-hmm. I used to do that. I created a soundtrack. And then I realized I would spend more time making the soundtrack than starting the book. I, I Still, I can't, I can't do that. It feels super weird to me. One time it worked for me. Uh, somebody, somebody mentioned this as far as like one song. They'd say, just pe- repeat one song over and over again. Then the words mm-hmm. become insignificant. But I did this with two albums. And I had a character that I was working on that was like a college professor in his 50s. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it and I'm like, what kind of music would this dude listen to? And I was like, oh, he would listen to Steely Dan and probably Frank Zappa. So I made a playlist of just one Steely Dan album and one Frank Zapp album, Jazz from Hell, which is the fucking weirdest album. And I put yeah, those on loop and that worked. Hmm. Maybe because I'm not like huge fans of either of those people. So I wasn't as connected with it. So I was really, it really put me in the mood for the character. But once again, different purposes. I'm talking about writing purposes. Sure. You're talking about it for more general, like well-being purposes. Yeah, I'm talking about it for 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 imagination purposes. I know that's weird, but they, I, I've I've been looking for more and more things that are catalytic. I've been asked to do some pretty weird projects um, as of late. Uh, one of which is a pretty elaborate stage show, um, and so I found that the, the, the having a predetermined narrative, like part of the reason why uh, this even came up in my mind, was I needed to listen to a piece of music that didn't have. That 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 gave me a blank canvas. I know that sounds strange to think about when you're when you're talking about music, but I needed I needed music with as little narrative direction as possible, so I could fill the space between. Mm. Yeah, there's um the book. What's it called? Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. Mm-hmm. 
she talks about for people who maybe have never heard her name before, Twyla Tharp is a famous choreographer. And if you're a creative person and you're not a dancer, I still highly recommend that book because it is about the process of creativity. But one of the things that she talks about in there is when she is putting at the beginning stages of putting together something, she has a box, a literal box. Mm-hmm. And everything that she thinks that relates, this kind of relates to our personal knowledge management thing as well. Everything that she thinks relates, she throws in the box. Now, of course, um, this is probably has nothing to do with streaming. She probably doesn't use streaming music or didn't at the time she wrote the book. So she's throwing CDs in this box. Like this music fits the mood. This music and this book, and she just throw it all in the box. And what she's creating essentially is a mood board, but in a box. And then she has it all there. And then she can fill in the gaps like you're talking about. I have all this stuff that I feel captures it. What is it capturing? So it's like she's solving a mystery. She's throwing clues in the box. I, I love that idea. And maybe that's maybe in some way that I didn't realize it until we started talking about this. Maybe in some way that influenced my whole idea that we've been talking about. Yeah, sure. The idea of throwing things, clues in this box. I need to be able to... Pro- wow. That's so weird. I just had a very... Syn- <laughs> I just had a, a strange synchronicity moment. You just heard an epiphany, by the way, too. In, in, in real, real time. time. <laughs> One of the things I had to clean out of the Evernote is, you remember Hunter Killer? Uh-huh, I do. Our Hunter Killer. So for anybody who hasn't heard of Hunter Killer from podcast advertisements out there, Hunter Killer is a game that you sign up for. Our friend Brandon, um, actually, our friend Laura bought it for our friend Brandon for his birthday like four, four or five years ago. And essentially, it is a mail... They mail you an envelope of evidence and kind of a general idea of what is going on. There's like, there was like a letter, just evidence. And you have to try to figure out what the crime is and you're not solving it in each box. This is a monthly thing you get. It's like an overarching crime. So every week you get more evidence and lamb and Brandon and I, I think we did it two weeks. We fell apart after two weeks, which is awful. (laughs) But uh, we did it for two weeks in a row where we would meet up and we would analyze this stuff. And we were were doing some Sherlock Holmes shit for sure. But that stuff was in the Evernote and I had to clear it out. And I remember clearing it out thinking, if this was real evidence, would this be the best way for me to organize evidence? Because the reason I was thinking about that is one of the things I've always wanted to do, which maybe someday I will do, is a crime podcast. Hmm. And I was thinking about that if I was collecting evidence on real crimes in the real world. Sometimes I go on these thoughts and I'm like, if I was a real detective, I went past the podcast thing and I was like, if I was a real detective, how would I collect my evidence? And how would I organize my evidence? I started thinking about how they probably do it. I was like, no wonder so many crimes go unsolved is because of poor organization. Yeah, the process, sure. They don't have, pro- they can't see all of their evidence and they can't make the correlations and the connections. The best thing they can do is the chalkboard and the corkboard with the, with the index cards, right? Yeah. 
But if they could have like real robust programs to be able to create systems like what we were talking about earlier, maybe more more crimes would be solved. I was thinking about that when I was clearing this stuff out of the Evernote. And then what was I putting in? Clues. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is it's crazy. like a synchronicity and an epiphany together. Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah. Too many synchronicities anyways. Every time we talk about something on the show, I turn on a podcast like two or three days later and they're talking about it. Yeah, that's still really weird to me, by the way. And it's it's been happening for so long and so consistently that I don't understand how or why. That's, that's I can't even so remember bad. all of them. Big time scary people and, and people I really respect too, like the one you sent me with Ricky Gervais and uh, Sam Harris. I mean, right. what the hell? Are you literally? Serious? That was the next day. Lamb and I talked about. You guys didn't hear it till Monday, but Thursday, last, no Friday, last Friday, Lamb and I talked about that intent conversation, and it wasn't even the next day. It was that afternoon? That means that means that we were talking about it at the same time as them. Yes. And Sam Harris released an episode with Ricky Gervais talking about exactly what we were talking about. And I don't mean for a second, the bulk of their episode. Damn it. And not only that, Sam Harris made an argument that I made in an episode of, of a show, old older show. And I'm not saying he's listening to our show, by the way. Uh, I'm just saying this is synchronicity. But you remember how one time I said something about, um, we were talking about forgiveness for people who... Who you know, like uh, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Now, what's his path to redemption? You know, sure. Joe Rogan talks about it a lot. You and I talked about it, and I said it was strange how liberal people were not willing to allow path to redemption for people who mess up in a social way, but then they also wanted to accept the fact that somebody could go to prison and come out changed, mm-hmm. and that they should be able to get a job, which they should, of course, of course. Yeah. And you and I talked about how that was a weird thing that some liberal people couldn't see that those two were the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that was he and he had never made that argument before. And he made it in that episode. And I was like, hey, that's hey, motherfucker, that's my idea. <laughs> Son of a bitch. But then there was uh Tom and I talked about uh or was it you and I that talked about the moon landing? Um we, we have talked about the moon landing. I don't know if it was what we're talking about specifically that... One of, the, one of the two of us, or one of the... Two of the three of us, there's a good way to say it. Two of the three of us were talking about the moon landing, people thinking it was faked. And then Boogie Monster, two days later, released a podcast called Moon Landing, talking about exactly that. Oh, God. I mean, it, it happened to me like five times in like seven days. Where I'm like, wait, who? What is going on? Am I inside so of a bizarre. fucking video game right now? Well, I feel like a lot of it is because the the you know the world gives us these morsels of 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 direction when it comes to how the the, the general consciousness of and I don't want to assume that I'm one of these people, but you know if you're if you're more intellectual than than the, than the standard populace, then you're going to be thinking about these things because this is where the world needs people to be thinking. Right. You know, like it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a social correction or a, a cultural awareness that, that forces smarter people who think of these high-minded ideas to try to find correlations or try to find connections or try to find direction or evolution of these ideas in such a way that they they can then articulate it to other people who 
for lack of a better way of saying it, to make it easier for people to digest it. And yeah. I feel like that's what we do on almost a constant basis. You know, we're, we're trying to take a lot of really complex ideas and distill them down to the most important core, core concepts, not just for other people, but for ourselves as well. Right. Yeah, because if there's one thing that I think all these conversations boil down to is reason. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Are you on the left or you're on the right? I don't give a shit. I'm not on the left or the right. You know what side I'm on? I'm on the side of reason. Yeah. Like where where should we go as a society? And I don't even like using the word should, but there's, the, there's a certain direction that... that. Well, it's good to use in a question, I think. It's yeah, 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 exactly. And I, in this particular case, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do, but there are definitely things that we as a society and a culture need to look out for. Yeah. I think should is powerful and useful in questions and it's didactic in answers. I agree with that completely. You know, if there's no question at the end of something that you use the word should in, then you're probably being an asshole. Yep. But there's the weird thing about these synchronicities too, though, Lamb, is it's not even the big ideas that we have synchronicity on. You and I made a, or I made a reference to you in an episode about Excite Bike. <laughs> and that came up in that Boogie Monster episode. They're like, blah, 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 Excite Bike. And I'm like, what the fuck? Or uh, Tom and I talked about the Grateful Dead. I even named the episode, the Grateful Dead is Matthew McConaughey. And then the next day... Joe Rogan's talking to Reggie Watts and they talk for like 15 minutes about the sound of the Grateful Dead, which is what Tom and I were talking about. Oh, man. It's, it's really weird, like to the point where I'm like, maybe this is a simulation. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and the programmers are getting lazy because the yeah, shit sure. is showing up in all these same places. Well, if that's the case, then I, I like the simulation as it stands now because that means that they're preparing us to be what's next. And that's kind of nice. Next level. Yeah, we are the next level, or at least the programmers that are programming the world that we are making us the next level purely, but not by our choice or, or because of our skill or anything like that at all. It was purely because that's, that's just what's happening. Well, it depends what kind of game we're in. Yeah, that's true. Because if this is a war game, I, I don't want to know what the next level is like. Well, maybe this is a comedy and we're the, we're the farce version of all of these other smart people. Or as I like to call it, the fart version. Fart version. We are the fart version of Sam Harris and uh, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> oh, there's so many lines in here I could Speaking use as a title. <laughs> like Ricky, Ricky, by the way, um, is one of my intellectual heroes. So he would greatly appreciate being called the fart version of anything. So mm -hmm. Ricky, if you're out there and you ever hear this... Um, I am your fart. That's one of the things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, Suck on that one, Chet. <laughs> I, I, if, if we hadn't had um, so many episode titles lately that terrified people, I might title it, I am your fart. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ricky Gervais is a great... Uh, Gervais. God. I'm going to correct everyone who gets that wrong. He doesn't say the S. It is the uh, Yes, he does. I haven't heard him trust, say that. Trust me. Well, Ricky... After, after hours and hours of podcasts and various other things I've heard of his, trust me, there's an S in there. Ricky well, the thing that's great about Ricky is... <laughs> I'm just never going to say his last name again. <laughs> the great thing about Ricky is that he kind of does... I mean, he fills a similar space that I think that we at least try to fill in the sense the ability to oscillate between lowbrow and highbrow. Absolutely. 100%. He can make a ridiculous, like not even like dirty joke, just a plain old stupid joke. Mm -hmm. And then talk about like something like astrophysics. Absolutely. He can talk about religion. The, the same guy that can talk 
intelligently about atheism can also produce the office. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's why he's my hero. I love that guy. I just need to, you know, I've only seen like four episodes of the office ever. It uh, was the English like version. Actually if, you, actually, if you want to do anything, um, listen to the Ricky Gervais show, which is um, uh, his, his podcast. Well, it was originally a radio show, but then he did a podcast with Stephen Merchant and Carl, Carl Pilkington. It's pure genius. It's hilarious. And it is probably the, the, the predecessor to what we understand as his humor on The Office. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because I've, like I said, I've only seen four episodes. I did, they were of the English show. I've never seen the American show. It's also pretty solid. Somebody out there is shocked. That's like saying, I've never seen Star Wars, which I have. Or Arrested Development. Blasphemy. Yeah, I don't know if Arrested Development fits as high as those other two in the sense that people wouldn't be too shocked if I said that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Because it's Netflix, maybe. Hmm, Yeah, good point. You know, like uh, network television shows, people are shocked if you haven't seen like the big network television shows. Because there's like this assumption because it's on network that it's universal. Yeah, like anyone who hasn't seen Cheers. Or I've never seen The Simpsons. Like, what? Are, have you been living inside of a Ugandan hut? Like, No, my parents didn't want me to watch the... It's weird because my parents are very liberal. Um, but I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons when I was a kid because Bart Simpson was a bad influence. My mom hated Bart Simpson. Yeah, all parents... My, my, my mother was the same way. Like, the huh. Simpsons, Simpsons was dangerous. Yeah. And it's because, you know, it was intelligent in a way that probably terrified people where they're like, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it still is. Mm-hmm. It's morally complex. Whereas most people expect cartoons to be moralistically simplistic. Sure. You know, going back to Scooby-Doo, moralistically simplistic. I, I never thought I'd, I'd, I'd hear Scooby-Doo spoken about in that context, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Scooby-Doo is... Um, He's the holy fool. He is the holy fool. If there's any, if there's a cartoon manifestation of this show and what we're all about at Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo and Shaggy too. All right, challenges. What do you got? Uh, how'd you like that? <laughs> Just it's still, it's still better than your P than your P moment, which is still yeah. the weirdest. The weird. Thing that's ever been on this show and that's saying something i'm gonna do the oh things instead of just talking without thinking from now on sure get used to my groans um i was supposed to tidy up my room oh actually action items first i was supposed to put up a photo of latte latte on my lap i did that um you were supposed to find out what the name of the at symbol is did you do that ah oh, crap i did not good because i did it just in case ah, thank who's you, got God. your back Ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to believe this, but the at symbol is called the at symbol. <laughs> There's no other name for it. You're a fucking idiot. There literally is no Are other name for it. I am so fucking serious. Oh, that was amazing. I was I expecting like, something, I like, but... I feel like if we used sound effects, that's the part where a drum roll would have been really nice. Or... Womp, womp, but I didn't want to end there because I did find something very interesting because I wanted to understand why it is what it is. So um, I'm going to read a little bit of this because, first of all, I just want you to imagine this in your mind. The earliest yet discovered symbol in this shape, which is that symbol shape, is found in a Bulgarian translation 
of a Greek chronicle written by a guy's name that I'm not going to pronounce in 1345. What the hell? Held today in the Vatican Apostolic Library, it features the at symbol in place of the A in the word Amen. Okay. Imagine not knowing that that symbol had such a history to it and opening a book from 1345 and seeing the at symbol. That is super weird. You you would think that it's like you want to talk about thinking it's a, a simulation. Uh, we're in assimilation. Uh, <laughs> you would think you're like, wait, no, this is this is revisionist history. What the fuck is yeah, no, this? Kidding. But what's what what's fascinating is nobody's positive where the symbol came from. There are four theories. I'm not going to read them. I'll just try to summarize them. One theory is that it was originally abbreviation. Actually, I should clarify that in every single case, the at symbol does not symbolize just at. It symbolizes each at. Because it was originally used in um, monetary ledgers. So when you bought $12 at the price of $1, that would be 12 apples at symbol dollar sign one. So each at one, got it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So it wasn't just at, it actually originally meant each at. It only became at when we started using it in the context of email addresses. Got it. So one theory is that it came from the Greek preposition ava, A-V-A, which means at the rate of or per. So I'm not sure. That one is the weakest. I started with the weakest because I don't see a correlation between AVA and A with a circle around it. The other ones are a little bit stronger. This one was that they they believe that the medieval monks abbreviated the Latin word AD, ad, which meant to, toward, by, or about. Mm-hmm. And they would put that next to a number. So then it would be um, at about 1345 the year 1345 and they said that maybe they did this because they were handwriting everything so it would save ink and it would save time seems a little weak because going from two letters to one letter doesn't seem like that big of an abbreviation huh a little dubious yeah yeah I mean you think that if you're going to abbreviate something you'd maybe abbreviate a bigger word like biblical (laughs) you save a lot of letters there (laughs) at B like the the at symbol with a B in the middle of yeah, but the reason the reason for this argument, even though it's a little dubious, as we said, is because the D, the original letter D, didn't have a straight up and down like it does now. It had a curved top. Mm. It, it curved to the top over itself. So you think of it like a, a a a reversed six. You know, like if you if you put a six up backwards, that's kind of what the D originally looked like. And you can see that if you just continued that, you would have the A with the circle around it. Sure. Very similar. Yeah. So that's why that one, that theory exists, even though the AD to save ink is stupid. But the other two that I particularly like is one, that it stood for at each, and that that symbol is a combination of the letter A and a lowercase e, which I can totally see. Yeah, I can see that. So that that one that one uh, would be Venetian merchants shorthand symbol, mm. and then the last one would be 
it's a stylized form of a the the French word for at, which is a with an accent over the top pointed to the right, also known as accent agrave. And uh, that one you can see as well. That if you were handwriting that, the way that that symbol is typed, you have an A, and then you have a little accent over the top. So you have to pick up your pen. Mm-hmm. But if you draw an A with a circle, it's all one motion. Oh yeah, you sure. Don't have to pick up your pen. And when you're writing script, not picking up your pen is a big deal. That's why we have cursive. Holy crap! This is the nerdiest episode ever. Totally, this should scare off anybody. Yeah, if you if you <laughs> didn't hate the show before. You should really hate it now. <laughs> yeah, if you can't deal with us going one week talking oh about buttholes and then the next week talking about personal information management, this is the wrong show for you. And let me tell you about the fucking ad symbol. Oh. Let's talk about that for 30 minutes. <laughs> I just thought that, that was fascinating. But you know, I'm into like word etymology. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I love seeing that shit. I mean, I'm currently dating a, a linguist. So believe me. Dun, dun, dun. We discuss this kind of stuff probably far too often and way into the night. Well, now you can tell her all about the ad symbol later. Sexy. Yeah, yeah she will. I know that's super sexy. Let me tell you about the ad symbol. Are you aware that the original name of the ad symbol is the ad symbol? Yeah, and it means at each. It mm. could be Venetian. It could be French. It could be Greek. Kind of like me. <laughs> Okay, my challenge. What the hell are we talking about? All right, wait, what, oh, was, what was my challenge? Yeah, let's go to your challenge since I just did a whole bunch of talking. Um, your challenge, it's wonderful that you never remember and I always have to remind you. I, I never remember, yeah. Decide where you were going to fly. Oh, um, it's going to be a Latin American country, either Mexico or Ecuador. Interesting, because I, I, I was joking. I was going to say Guam. Huh. Guam is way the fuck out there. I was just going to say it to be funny. I didn't expect you to say Latin American country. Yeah, totally. I want to go to Ecuador. Actually, I've been thinking about it for many years. Actually, and it's 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 on the list for sure. What about it is appealing? It's so different from the world that I understand, and I don't know anything about Ecuador. Hmm. Like most of the other countries in Latin America, I know something about because I've you know. Um, at one point in my life, I dated a Latin American and she, she was from Argentina. So there, I, I started as far south as I could and started working my way north when it came to my knowledge of Latin America. And Central America, I know nothing about. And Ecuador in particular, I know literally nothing about. Yeah, are they? They're not a, they're not a communist country, are they? I don't are they know. one of the remaining see, communists? See, I don't even know that. Might want to check into some of that stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm getting, before I leave, I'm going to check into the safety aspect. And I don't want to get kidnapped and ransomed, but... Yeah, the kidnapping and murdering Asian Americans down there right now? Yeah, I don't know. I, that's real specific, but I probably should find that out. But beyond that, I don't want to know much about the country before I go there. Yeah, you probably don't want to know all this information that I have in front of me right now about it. Okay. What do you got? What's your challenge? Uh, my challenge was to organize my room. And I did it um, today. <laughs> the last minute, I started in one spot, and I was like, "Oh, uh, you crammed for a test." I, I, for a test. I didn't want to do it. That's why it was. That's why it was messy because mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it. Uh, oh, I can tell you something though. Coming out of that, I do have a tip um, along the lines of our always trying to find things better. This is what I find when you're organizing a whole room. That's really useful. It's always overwhelming. 
you start doing it, you're like, fuck, I don't want to do this. And for me, I'm usually thinking, and I'm sure it's not uncommon, I don't want to do this because I don't want to have to figure out where all this shit goes. Yeah, sure. So what I do is I work in sections. So for example, I started by my door and there's a bookshelf there. I said, I'm just going to clean this bookshelf off. So I clean that bookshelf off. And anytime I would find something that I didn't know where I want to put it, I'd put it in the next section that I was going to clean. What happens when you do that is number one, it allows you to finish the section that you're on. So you continue to make progress. But those items, if you keep pushing them on as you move through sections, eventually that thing that you don't know where to put ends up in the section where you go, oh, I guess I could put it here. Sure. And then the worst case scenario is the items you don't know where to put, they all end up in a pile at the end. So your room is organized and now you just have this pile of, you know, a small pile of things that you have to find places for. Sure. Which becomes easier when things are organized because you go, oh, well, this is a book. So I guess I should put it with the other books. And this is a CD. Who the hell uses CDs anymore? I guess this can go in the garage. So that's my recommendation is work in sections and anything you don't know where to put it, just move it in the next section and keep having to move it to every section until you find a home for it. Sounds like the way I eat food. You eat your plate in sections? I do. Interesting. I eat like a blind person. I basically clock my meals for consumption. So I basically eat a section at a time. Yikes. Yeah, it's super weird. I can't do... I can't do... Well, I can. I prefer not to do multiple items on a plate. Mm. Like if I'm, if I'm eating dinner at home, and a restaurant's different. If I'm eating dinner at home, I'll eat one item at a time. Mm. Interesting. I think it's, it's... When I was a kid, we used to get... We used to get everybody fucking in America pretty much that's not completely impoverished got a Thanksgiving dinner. What am I saying? We used to have Thanksgiving dinners. And when we had Thanksgiving dinners, one of the things that I got, which is why the word got came in my head, because when you're a kid, you don't pick the food on your plate. They put the shit on the plate for you. For some reason, my chocolate pudding always ended up next to my salad. So I always ended up with lettuce in my chocolate pudding. That's gross. Henceforth, <laughs> I like having one thing on a plate <laughs> at a time. That makes a ton of sense, actually. Mm-hmm. And plus, it was reinforced by the fact that my grandfather was the same way because shit like that would happen to him in the army, except it was much worse in the army because they would just throw the pudding on top yeah, of the salad. Glop then, shit. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, because they just didn't... I don't know if it's like that anymore, but back then, they just didn't give a shit because usually the guys working in the kitchens... We're not people who wanted to work in kitchens. It's one of the fucked up things about the armed forces. They don't always put people in the places where they would be best and happiest. They just put them where they want to put them. Sure. You know, like the guy who wants to be a chef might have to fly airplanes instead of being allowed to be a chef. And the guy who wants to fly airplanes gets to be the chef. Yeah. Hmm. All right. New challenges. What do you got? I got nothing. And it's your turn anyways. (laughs) Damn it. You're not allowed to do that, okay? But I yes, I, I am. You started, so you have to go. I can't go twice in a row. I have, I have, I actually do have one though. Um, this is exercising a pretty big ghost in my life. Um, mm. I'm I'm gonna get rid of the piano that's in my house, which does not belong to me. Uh, belongs to my ex, and replace it with a piano that I want, uh, which I'm going to be acquiring this week. So I'm going to do a piano swap. Piano. Oh, I got to write this down. 
piano swap and you're saying that you're going to do that by next thursday yes in all likelihood unless something horrible happens between now and then sorry if um we're causing um (laughs) disruption in your brain on timelines because we're talking about in the actual days and you guys are not going to hear this oh that's true on thursdays but we record on thursdays usually so if you hear us say thursday that's because that's what day it is for us yep um my challenge Oh, I want to do a good one. I really want to do the cleaning my room or organizing my room. That was a good one because it was actually challenging to me and it actually benefited me. I feel a lot better being in this room. Um, I am going to... Damn. I know what I'm going to... I get a good challenge. Okay, I know. My challenge is going to be for the next week to do everything exactly the way it's set up to be done and not try to tweak, alter, or improve anything. Huh. To just leave everything as it is for one week just to see what happens. Interesting. That's actually an interesting one. Yeah, that's fun. Anybody knows that is very difficult for me because I am, I think like, in a way, I think like a software engineer. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for bugs. Yeah, except the bugs are in your own brain. Yeah. Well, not always. Sometimes I have to change things because I just don't always share my reasons. Like, for example, uh, one thing I changed was, you know, creating that landing page for our, for the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because when Julie's episode came out, I realized that anybody directing someone to our Instagram page to check out the podcast probably wasn't going to have a very easy path to listening to an episode. Sure. So I needed to create a way to make that, to facilitate that. But I'm always looking for bugs because I feel like everything always needs to be improved. Always. Nothing is exactly the way I want it to be. And it never will be. And so now you're forcing yourself not to change it. Yes. Because I want to see what happens. You know, there's also, you got to understand and I've been definitely guilty of this in the past, is changing too much, too often. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's based in insecurity. Um, not necessarily always insecurity in myself, but insecurity in what I've created. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this, is, this isn't strong enough or whatever. So forcing myself to, to watch and not being able to fix everything is kind of like, uh, it's like a stoic um, practice. Worst case scenario. Find out what that is. Got it. Okay. Those are the challenges. And if you guys would like to follow me on Patreon, you can follow me at patreon.com forward slash holy fool productions. Since last time I recorded with Lamb, I put up a list of all the podcasts that I am subscribed to. People ask me that very often. That one is a public post. So if you go over there and you're not a patron, you can check that one out. Um pretty positive I made that public post. Maybe I should check before I say that. <laughs> pretty sure and if not I'll change it to that after this now that I said it I also put out an episode of what I want to talk about where I talked about the idea of um, juggling long term projects with short term projects and uh, a few other things that I can't remember right now and uh, yeah I'm can you believe it Lamb I'm almost I'm actually currently at 81 posts on my Patreon oh dear god five of them are public but you are prolific my friend 
Well, I want the I want people that take the time to follow me to actually get something out of it. You know, sure. I see it as an investment. Uh, where can they find you on the Patreon? Um, Patreon.com slash the vacant room. I promise I will actually do something at some point there. Um, after I sort out this whole finding a new job and redefining my life kind of thing. Um, I can also be found uh, at the vacant room on both Twitter and on Instagram and my website, thevacantroom.com as well. Um, all of which will be more active as time moves on. And uh, Tom, you can find him on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Tom Woodrum, W-O-O-D-R-U-M. And he is sir.beardo on Instagram. And the Instagram for the show, which is recommendations, visual aids, uh, recommendations, visual aids, what's the other one? Oh, possible topics for the future, stuff like that is at Random Badassery. There's also a Twitter account where some of those posts go over there as well as episode posts, uh, posts from my newsletter, Patreon posts, and some other random stuff. I've been actually every once in a while pushing out a link. Just if I read something, I'm like, oh, somebody might enjoy that. I'll push it over to the Twitter. So you can do all that stuff. But what I would recommend if you want to make it really easy for yourself, if you're looking at the show notes for this, you'll see support Random Badassery. Click that. That's going to take you to the brand new landing page that I was just telling Lamb about. I suggest that you look at it on mobile. It works on the desktop, but it's optimized for mobile. So it looks prettier there. And all of those links are in one simple page. You can find ways to new recent episodes of the show. You can find um, our social media links. You can find Lamb and Tom's individual social media links. If you click my follow link, it'll take you to my newsletter. And it'll take you to all of our Patreons and... It'll take you to my favorite button, which I hope at least one of you will use, which is the review us on iTunes. What's special about that button is I took the time to find a service that made that link special. It doesn't just take you to us in Apple Podcasts. It takes you to Apple Podcasts to the review page. It cuts out like three clicks for you guys. So Mm, please use it. Even if it's a brief thank you guys for sticking around this long, and anything like that. We would love to hear it. Anything else? Uh, any any parting words or farting words for that matter? Um, Ricky Gervais, please email me um, and let me... Or, or you know what? Hit us on any of the social media things and tell Chad why he's wrong at pronouncing your name. Don't DM us on the Instagram. Please do that, actually. Rick, I would love to get a DM from Ricky Gervais scolding us for something. That'd be... I'll delete it. <laughs> Don't even think about it. <laughs> Why can't they let you like say, I don't want DMs and just like turn that feature off? Ugh, don't even think about it. I will hunt you down. Mm, you can do whatever you want, Ricky Gervais. It actually really wouldn't be hard to find you. Okay, well, that's it for me. <laughs> Bye-bye, babies. Bye. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>